Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Tom. Boy, the things, the things you learn when you're getting ready to record are almost more entertaining than the podcast itself. I just learned that Cat is a dill pickle whore. Yeah, she is. Yeah. I said I hoard them. Oh, gosh. Oh, I completely Lynn. misunderstood. No, but, but, but she is a dill pickle whore. It's true. Um, they're hard to find here. She actually did a, a reel and a TikTok on social media about how difficult it is to find dill pickles in Ecuador or at least Cuenca. Mm. And we were at our neighborhood supermarket and they had some on the shelf. So she just bought them out. We, we had a duffel bag full of dill pickles. <laughs> I just learned something interesting about Ecuador just last week. And I thought of you guys that the single single biggest export of Ecuador is shrimp. Did you know that? I didn't didn't know know that. I would have guessed roses. Yeah. Flower industry is a big thing here because, uh, you know, they can grow them all year long at the right altitude. Climate. Right. Mm. And um, chocolate and coffee are also big exports. I would have guessed one of those. Well, it's interesting. I never really thought much about exports until I learned about potato exports in Maine, which was just a few months ago. Right. Yeah. And now to learn about shrimp exports, it's like you guys like living where, you know, you you like being export hubs. You live in in export (laughs) hubs. Thank you for joining us for Agricultural Monthly. Yes. (laughs) Well, as you can tell, Kat is joining us uh, for this episode. And uh, we are grateful to have her here because it's less work for us. Things are always more fun when Kat's here. I actually, we usually save the email lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com for the center of the show. But I thought of you two specifically because of this brief email from a gentleman named Nathan, which uh, whose email we had read earlier. He says, hey, guys, so pumped you read my story. Thank you so much. The line I was referencing about being in a vehicle with a strong beverage was in reference to your intro line. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. 
And even though it's shallow end to drink and drive, Jethro might, Jethro and Cat might recognize the term road soda. Road used, soda. Road soda used for, you know it. Used for beer in Maine. Yeah, yep. road soda. Yeah. Also, to continue with the stove up conversation, <laughs> Lindsay, anything can get stove up, including people. Yeah. Someone who gets beat up or has had an accident where they got hurt is known to be stove up. It's a very oh. convenient expression. Many of your stories end with people getting stove up. Thanks again, guys. Nate from Maine. Now, you were asking about where that term came from and off air or off, you know, well, once we stopped recording, Kat explained the story. So why don't you uh, re-explain it? I was fascinated by that, Kat. Um, Oh, okay. So uh, it comes from barrel making. The uh, sides of the barrels are called staves and they have to reshape them for the the shape of the barrel. And when you do that, the staves become stove. And so they're they're stove up. Yep, they're all stove up. They're yeah. all bent. That's that's the legend anyway. Yeah. It's I a don't good know. One. I love I, that. I, yeah. Appreciate it. I also think maybe Nate's on to something and we should change the name of the podcast to All Stove Up. <laughs> <laughs> or Road Soda. Road Soda. I love that. I've never heard that term. Yeah. That was actually a, a big thing when I was uh in a previous relationship when we'd go out to camp. Uh my my previous person uh always wanted a road soda and i was like absolutely not no That's we can, drinking we can house soda we can house soda, house soda. <laughs> we, we can camp soda sure but no road sodas you no can even soda. canoe soda if you want to <laughs> i'm fine with that i never thought about that is that a mm. thing canoe soda ing um, well, it's not supposed to be. No, you're not no. supposed to have open beverage containers no. uh, in any moving vehicle whatsoever. Yeah. In even the state of in a canoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing that that's not necessarily enforced. Um, I have seen it enforced in kayaks. Yeah. For reals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never in a tube, though. I've tubed down the Saco a couple times, and that's that's just all about sodas. Yeah. So, yeah. but that's a dangerous sport. Tubing. One, yeah. one can get all stove up real easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys got some stories of people oh, yeah. getting stove up? We do have up? stories. Yeah. I don't. Can know I go first, first Linz? Because I've got go a little, first. little bit of a head cold here. Yeah. It would be my honor to have you go first. His uh, what's the word? His respiratory His... systems all stove up. Once upon a time in a quiet suburban neighborhood uh, in uh, right outside of uh, East. Well, it was in East Kansas. There were two best friends named Mike and Dave. They'd been uh, inseparable since childhood, mostly because their houses were right next door to each other. Kind of like you and me, Linz, when we were growing up. Yeah. And another thing that they had in common with us is that uh, their, their friendship was characterized by pranking each each other that was just ah. part of the friendship they absolutely gotcha. loved playing tricks on one <laughs> another and the shenanigans continued well into their adult years now as kids they would do things like swap school bags uh they would fill each other's backpack with feathers that was one thing that they did <laughs> back when you could um, find feathers yeah when you could easily find or import feathers um they would you know do the we did this, switch the salt and in the sugar and, you know, loosen the caps at the diner of the salt and pepper shakers. Watch the hilarity ensue. As they grew older and wiser, um, well, 
you'd think they were wiser. Their pranks became more elaborate. They they had actually bought each other's parents' house, so they were still living in the same houses next door to each other as adults. You mean they each bought their parents' house, not they bought each other's parents' house? Yes, thank you for okay. clarifying that. Because that made it sound like you swapped. Yeah, yeah hey, I, I know. Let's, let's buy houses and swap. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be cool if you'd always coveted the other person's house. That would, right. that would work out really well. But I digress. We covet what we see every day. So the proximity of their houses remained the same, and that made pranking very convenient. Um, and it, it all started when Dave decided to complain about Mike's junk car that was sitting in his yard. Uh, he, uh, he said, you know, it's an eyesore and it's ruining the view from my living room. Would you please move it? And, and Mike never wanted to back down, had a brilliant idea. Uh, instead of moving the car out of eye line or eyesight, he, uh, he pushed the car down the incline between their two houses, sending it rolling right into Dave's front yard. <laughs> And it came to a gentle resting stop directly in front of Dave's living room window. Oh, that's priceless. <laughs> Dave, at first, was was livid, but he couldn't help but appreciate, you know, his friend's prank. They, they had this bond, this relationship where sure. pranking was understood. Now, Dave was determined, of course, to re- retaliate. You don't just let that sit. Of course not. So he and his buddies spent hours uh, hoisting the car back up into Mike's driveway. They then removed the wheels and put it up on blocks. (laughs) (laughs) But that wasn't enough. Of course Um, not. Dave was plotting his next move. One day he's on his porch drinking lemonade and he sees Mike mowing his lawn and he recognizes that Mike's lawn is his pride and joy. And he decides to to mess with the meticulous, meticulously groomed grass. It was a point of pride for his friend. So late at night, what he did under the cover of darkness is he stealthily replaced the grass seed in Mike's garage with a bag of quick growing neon green grass seed. <laughs> okay. A few days later, Mike was horrified when he saw that his lawn had transformed into a fluorescent green eyesore that probably could have been seen from space. (laughs) Dave stood on his porch and pretended to be as shocked as everyone in the neighborhood. Mike's face at first turned crimson, but then he realized he'd been had. It wasn't about to let Dave's prank go unanswered. So after spending days and nights, Planning his or replanting his once green lawn, he decided to uh, strike back. This was an ongoing thing. It was like an escalating arms race with these two guys. It sounds like it. Yeah. One evening, Dave had invited some friends over for a barbecue. Mike was supposed to be out of town, but he stayed home in order to uh, execute his plan. Mike snuck into the backyard where the barbecue was to take place and put a uh, uh, tongue-tingling ghost pepper hot sauce in the ketchup bottle. <laughs> Dave, now, we've talked a few times about uh, about the hot sauces in yeah, the, uh, exactly. in, in the Scoville scale, and ghost right, pepper's right. right up there. Oof. Dave's unsuspecting guests, they're pretty famished at one point, so they grabbed their burgers and they put generous amounts of what they thought were ketch- was ketchup on their burgers. And before long, their mouths were on fire. They're guzzling <laughs> gallons of water. That's making it worse. And Dave himself 
had a took a massive bite of his burger only to turn red as the sauce itself. <laughs> I, I thought about the letter we got from the uh, the woman in. Um, oh, the uh, habanero uh, pepper yeah, thing. South, yeah. South uh, was it South Africa? I think it was South Africa. Yeah. He had the same kind of reaction, you know, the mucus and the eyes watering. He couldn't decide whether to be mad at Mike because he immediately knew what was going on or impressed by his fiery retaliation. I don't think it's cool because Mike's prank also affected Dave's guests. Yes, that's true. They, you know, I thought the same pranking. thing. Yeah. I thought that's I thought this is this is taking it to a whole new level. You're involving right. other people who are unwitting and not necessarily into this back and forth. Right. Yeah. Maybe sensitive to hot peppers. <laughs> it's true. <Yeah. laughs> it's escalating to a point of danger. The prank war continued unabated, escalating to new heights of absurdity. They rigged each other's doorbells to play embarrassing songs like I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. <laughs> Which, by the way, I want a doorbell. Yeah, that's pretty I'm, cool, actually. I'm Too Sexy. I think that would improve my self-esteem if every time the <laughs> doorbell rang, I heard that. One of them filled the other mailbox with glitter. Uh, and then another one staged, <laughs> I love this, a fake alien abduction in his neighbor's backyard with elaborate <laughs> props. Wow. And special effects effects. The neighbors watched in, in both amusement and disbelief as these guys just, I mean, they all knew that these two guys were good friends and pranked each other since they were kids, but it was, it was going to a whole different level now. It sounds like, do they, do they talk about if these guys were married? Cause I'm trying to picture what their wives were thinking all the time that this was going on. Yeah. No, neither one of them were married. Is that a surprise? Yeah. Everyone acts surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout all of this, uh, Mike continues to restore his beloved vehicle. Uh, and but he couldn't resist the opportunity to use that to annoy Dave. So he installed a ridiculously loud muffler, knowing full well it would drive his friend crazy <laughs> for weeks. Dave endured the deafening noise emanating from Mike's muffler. He tried earplugs and noise canceling headphones. <laughs> Again, That's this serious. has got to affect other neighbors, though. Yeah, exactly. But he wasn't going to go down without a fight. So, one sunny Sunday morning, when he knew Mike was still asleep, Dave sneaked over and shoved a potato into the car's tailpipe, hoping to muffle the muffler. We considered doing that to white Lexus guy. We did. In Orlando. This was in Orlando with a glass pack uh, muffler? Yeah, the, yeah, the cherry bomb muffler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, this guy does that. As the sun rises, Mike, Mike is up. He's ready to go and start his engines. Quite literally. Probably going to drive to church. <laughs> he revved his car with all of the might he could muster, making sure the noise would pierce through Dave's dreams. <laughs> but something was off. The noise wasn't as deafening as he expected. He kept revving the engine, perplexed by the muffler's newfound restraint. It was like the car had somehow lost his voice, kind of like me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Unknown to him... The pressure inside the tailpipe was building up, and it reached a point where it just couldn't take it anymore. With an explosive bang, the potato shot out of the tailpipe <laughs> like a Javelin anti-tank guided missile. And where, JG, did the potato end up? Well, it's funny you ask that, Lynch, because Mike's driveway, you remember, was slightly higher in elevation than right. Dave's. 
And because Mike had parked the car back end toward Dave's house to, for maximum volume effect, the high velocity tuber blasted straight through Dave's garage window, <laughs> causing an uproarious crash. You know what I'm just picturing as Dave is shoving this potato into the tailpipe thinking, oh, this is so convenient. It's 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 pointing toward me. It's so easy to to upload this potato into this muffler. Yeah, he's made it easy for me. So both friends, of course, this this wakes Dave up and he, he runs out and both friends rush to the scene to check out the damage. They roll up the garage door. And amidst the debris of shattered glass was the sight of a potato lodged in an antique clock Dave had been storing in his garage for Mike. <laughs> the antique clock had always been a point of pride for Mike, and the story behind him, uh, uh, why it was in the garage was equally amusing. Earlier in the year, Mike was renovating his living room. And he'd been worried the clock might get damaged by construction work. So Dave, being the thoughtful friend, said, hey, bring it over, put it in the garage. I'll keep I'll keep it safe in my garage. Little did they know that the greatest threat to the clock's well-being would come from a humble potato. <laughs> would be a spud. <laughs> <laughs> As they surveyed the chaos in the garage, Mike's initial dismay over the clock's predicament gave way to laughter. He recalled the day he had handed the clock over to Dave with strict instructions to guard it with his life. <laughs> And, and Dave had taken that pretty seriously, but uh, I guess they weren't expecting a potato missile. And so uh, the two lifelong pranksters learned a valuable lesson that day. Sometimes pranks have a way of coming back and literally kicking you right in the clock. <laughs> this would be a great TV movie. <laughs> but I'm picturing at this point... Would would you just shake hands and say, you know what? Maybe this is this is where we end this. Yeah, let's call it a truce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this is getting out of hand, and oh, that was priceless. Yeah, I'm just I'm just glad he didn't knock over like a can of kerosene or something in his garage and burn <laughs> yeah. his house down. Kill a passerby, get beamed in the in the <laughs> temple by a spud. Yep. Who needs that? God, that's a great story. That's a great story. That's got that's the quintessential shallow end collection of uh, nobody really got hurt. <laughs> and it's funny as hell. And yeah, just a just a priceless family heirloom takes the damage. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you.
One of the most unpleasant things is shopping for a new doctor. What a hassle. Particularly a doctor who actually gets you, listens to you, makes you feel super comfortable. You call their office, you've got an appointment made, then the receptionist tells you that they don't take your insurance. I actually had an experience like that. I specifically got a type of insurance because a doctor's office said they took it. And then I go there and they go, oh, we don't take this insurance. Well, wipe your tears, put away the ice cream and head over to ZocDoc and find and book the doctor who's right for you and takes your insurance. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can actually filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance, they're located near you, and they treat almost any condition you're searching for. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients, not And here's the good news. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 48 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. If I had needed this product recently, this is exactly what I would use. I wish I'd known about it when I was looking for a doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-S-E, ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. It's been called the single largest church in America because it's true. Welcome to Our Church of the Swollen Heart. Sitting on some 1,250 square miles in Central Florida, Swollen Heart is the largest non-denominational church anywhere in the country. But we're much more than a church. True, we offer only one service on Sunday mornings, and it's only in English, because that's what Jesus spoke. But it lasts just 12 minutes, including two collections, so you and your family can get on to what really matters, fun, food, and drink. Families just love our par 5 24-hole championship golf course with soaring river rapids and breathtaking waterfalls and real quicksand bunkers to challenge your game. If big game hunting is more your speed, Swollen Heart has you covered. Let your kids experience the thrill of stalking and killing real animals. Don't worry, you'll be shooting blanks. The animals are trained to fall over when they hear a gunshot. Just don't tell the toddlers. Someone mentioned thrill rides? Our amusement park, Great Flags Over Orlando, is larger than those little Disney and Universal parks next door. And just in time for summer, buckle up for the new Vortex of Death roller coaster. Not a single NASA astronaut could make it without passing out. But maybe you've got the right stuff. After a day of adventure, you're bound to be hungry. Choose from one of our 176 restaurants with everything you're Christian mouth can handle. In the mood for fish? Try Simon Peter's Fried Fish Frenzy or the Wedding Feast of Cana with bottomless jugs of wine and plenty of baskets left over. And those Christians 21 and older will enjoy the 12 Apostles Brewery with more beers on tap than anywhere else in Orange County. Feeling adventuresome? Try a 24-ounce Judas Ale and see what happens to your best friend. And every Sunday at 5 p.m., One lucky guest is chosen to play Pontius Pilate in a recreation of the trial of Jesus Christ. There's even an actor dressed as Barabbas. Ignore the cries of the crowd, set Jesus free, and get a commemorative coffee mug. On your way to the parking lot, 
make sure you visit our Garden of Gethsemane gift warehouse, a full acre of collectibles sure to remind you of your new favorite spot to worship Jesus and drop hundreds in cash. Our Church of the Swollen Heart, just off Interstate 4 in Orlando. Say habla espanol. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. A listener named Angie used that exact address to send us this exact email. She says, good day to you. I'm a longtime Box of Oddities listener, and I've been listening to The Shallow End from the beginning. I absolutely love both podcasts, and I would like to share my short trip to The Shallow End with you. As a single mom, I have to be pretty innovative and frugal with my finances, so I'm an all-around handy woman. My major problem one summer was my 16-foot garage door. The rollers would not stay in the track. When one would pop out of the track, the garage door would not open and close correctly, and the garage door opener wouldn't work. Had to call a garage door company a few times to get the rollers back in the tracks, an expense that really wasn't in my budget. Mm. They always did this while I was at work, so I never got the chance to watch and see how they got those suckers back in place. One promising Saturday, as I eagerly pushed the garage door opener from my house, looking expectantly out the window, my plans for the day were utterly, utterly crushed. When I saw the door bind and close, I knew immediately one of those stupid rollers had come out of the track. I was determined to fix it myself, so I stormed out to the garage (laughs) to fix that fucker once and for all. Yeah, get it. (laughs) All tools on hand, I stood there looking at the problem and forming a plan in my mind. One single roller was out of the track, the very bottom right roller. The best way to describe these rollers is kind of like a wheel and axle. The roller is the wheel that slips into the track, and the axle slips through tabs that are welded to a plate that is in turn bolted to the garage door. I realized if I unbolted the plate from the garage door, I could just slip the roller back into the track, slide the axle into the tabs, and then bolt the plate back in place. Problem solved, right? Makes sense. Love it. This plate was bigger, though, than the rest. All rollers had their own plate, all the others with a small plate with only two bolts each. But this plate was an eight bolter and for some reason was painted bright red. I thought that was rather odd, someone taking the time and effort to beautifully paint this plate red, but it didn't deter me on my quest. Ratcheting away, I removed seven of the eight bolts. I started working on the eighth bolt and it was crazy wonky. The thing was in there so crooked, I was using almost all my strength to get that bolt to turn. <laughs> parentheses. This bolt, by the way, was also painted bright red. Close parentheses. <laughs> I was silently cursing under my breath while cranking on this bolt, damning the people who had installed it and painted this stupid crooked plate. The next thing I knew, I was lying on my back in the middle of the garage floor, arms and legs askew, mind racing, thinking, what the heck just happened? I couldn't see, though. I tentatively reached up to wipe what turned out to be blood off of my face and out of my eyes. My first thought was, did I just get shot? Was this a (laughs) drive-by shooting? This is a small town. That doesn't happen here. I slowly sat up and found a rag to press to the freely flowing wound in the middle of my forehead. While cautiously looking for bullet holes in my garage door, I noticed the bolt was finally out of the plate and the plate lying indifferently on the floor. 
By now, the rag was completely saturated with my blood. Oh, my God. I proceeded to the house to get a bath towel. Gazing at myself in the mirror, I discovered a two-inch-long cut right in the middle of my forehead, bleeding profusely. I knew a trip to the ER was in order. Thank goodness I had gotten that plate off so I could just open the garage door to retrieve my car and drive myself to the hospital. Imagine me trying to explain what happened while they were stitching up the thank, well, stitching me up. Thank goodness I'm accident prone and they know me there. No questions <laughs> asked. <laughs> got a return customer punch card. For the For next two tenth, weeks. Every 10th injury, you get a free coffee. You get a free coffee. For the next two weeks, I was constantly asked about the stitches in the middle of my forehead. And finally, after explaining the story once again, a guy who worked in construction queried, I don't understand. Wasn't that plate painted? Uh, bright red? I replied, it certainly was, both the plate and the bolt. Why? (laughs) Evidently, the red is a warning because the springs hooked to the garage door. Because of the springs, the plate's under extreme pressure, hence the red paint, hence the crooked last bolt, and finally let it loose of the plate, forced out of its bolt under immense pressure, rapidly finding the spot directly in the middle of my forehead. I guess it's supposed to be common knowledge to always unhook the garage door springs before doing any work on your garage door. I had to wear a hat all that winter as the cold air on my forehead would induce painful headaches. I still have a scar to this day. I thought I'd share my story. Hopefully it saves someone from errant flying garage door plate bolts. I love both of your podcasts. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. I look forward to hearing all the trips to the shallow end. Sincerely, Angie. Angie. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you're okay. Angie. That that could have. Yeah. uh, That could have been fatal. It could have been. Yeah. And this will probably save someone's life, Angie. Yeah. Well, that's where the shallow end can at times become a public service. (laughs) That's right. But thank you, Angie, for sharing that advice. I had a garage door incident myself. Really? Yes. It wasn't as dramatic and horrific as that because I hadn't gotten around to putting the springs on yet. I put a garage door on. It was like a shed. So it was a small, lightweight garage door. And I got it it installed. I got it on the tracks and everything. But I didn't put like the little end pieces on the track so that the garage door would stay on the track. Oh, no. And it, it was a lightweight door, and i forgotten I hadn't done that, and I came and I just whipped the door up, and it went all the way off the track. <laughs> Each course. panel swung down <laughs> and hit me right in the forehead. <laughs> now, was it didn't even in, break the skin. But Was this I, in yeah, Maine? Yeah, it was, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel for you, Angie. I do. That's That's why we don't cut corners and we always finish our projects. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and when it comes to garage doors, I would say hire a professional. Yes. Because those things are, they're dangerous. They are. I have a two-car garage door. Braggart. they, (laughs) They, when I got it replaced a few years ago, brand new springs, they actually put this kind of red uh, plastic sheath over the springs and it's bright mm. red and in big you know 72 point helvetica danger <laughs> springs do not touch or adjust and i'm sure it's because of enough stories like angie's mm. yeah that reminds me of the old joke you hear about the guy who got a vasectomy at home depot 
No, JG, what happened? Every time he kissed his wife, his garage door went up. Great. You're in the shallow end with Schnappley and Toth. The title of my story is They Couldn't Hit an Elephant at This Distance. <laughs> I want you two to remember those those very words. Okay. They were uttered by an army general named John Sedgwick. He was one of only two Union generals, by the way, to be killed during the Civil War. And his death was mourned by many, including Robert E. Lee. He's remembered as one of the Union heroes of the Civil War. In fact, a monument to him still stands at West Point Military Academy. I love this story because it's Civil War, and I know what a huge Civil War uh, freak, and I use that in the best sense, that uh, Mm. J.G. is. Oh, he loves war. He loves him some Civil War stories. Well, this is... I like, pull, I like military history. I don't like war. A, loves war. Pour a strong beverage and, and settle in for this. You're going to like it. His unexpected death is probably better remembered today than is his military legacy, which led him to the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse in the American Civil War. But let's back up. General Sedgwick was career military, following in the footsteps of his grandfather, after whom he was named. His grandfather had actually served with a guy named George Washington. How's that for military history? That's quite a pedigree. Sedgwick graduated from West Point in 1837. That was just 35 years after it opened. It It still probably had that new military academy smell. I love that. They they have a uh, like a car freshener, one of those little pine tree things. It's new military academy smell. I I got to get me one of those. Uh, so he graduates in 1837 and is immediately commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. He was sent to Florida. Another uh, another connection to Cat and JG. Hmm. He was sent there to clear out the Seminole Indians because, you know, they were there first and that just didn't work for the white people. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's it is Indigenous Peoples Day. 1830s. Yes, it is. <laughs> he also fought in the Mexican War under Zachary Taylor, who, of course, went on to become, I believe, our 17th president, and then received two promotions for his service. By 1860... Cedric had fought in the Utah and Indian Wars and has now been promoted to the rank of colonel. So he's his career's on fire. It's 1861. Civil War is in its second year. Sedgwick receives orders to report to Washington, D.C., and he's going to be the new assistant inspector general of the military department. He's there only a few months before he's promoted to brigadier general of the wow. volunteers. Isn't it interesting how people... In certain certain people in the military just continue to to rocket up and get promoted and promoted and promoted. Something like that. So he's given command of the second brigade of General Samuel Heinzelman's division of the Army of the Potomac, and then is given his own division to command, the second division, second corps of the Army of the Potomac. He is so respected by his men that they often refer to him as Uncle John. Wow. Yeah. Now, during this seven days battle, Sedgwick is actually injured in both the arm and leg while his forces are trying to hold back General Robert E. Lee and Lee's men from advancing down the Virginia Peninsula. 
And after this battle in which Sedgwick was injured, remember I said both arm and leg, he's promoted to major general. He just mm-hmm. keeps getting promoted. Well, Sedgwick and his men are sent into battle against Confederate leader Stonewall Jackson's forces at the Battle of Antietam. And they are ill-equipped, but uh, not surprisingly, Jackson's forces outnumber Sedgwick's. There's now surrounded on all three sides. Sedgwick's men take heavy casualties. It was brutal. And in fact, in that battle, Sedgwick himself, listen to this, is shot three times. Three times. Yeah. Once in the wrist, once in the leg, and for good measure, once in the shoulder. The guy's in rough shape. But a mere 90 days later, after being shot three places, he comes back and says, I am recovered and ready to re-enter battle. See, he How's loves that? war too. Yeah, he loves him some. He loves him some war. So it's now May 8th, 1864, and General Ulysses S. Grant has moved his forces from Richmond to Spotsylvania County, which I just think is such a cool name, maybe because it sounds like Transylvania. Spotsylvania County. <laughs> He's believed he is going to be able to meet Robert E. Lee's army on an equal battlefield, and he's going to take him out. He's, he's done with this, uh, this whole Confederate nonsense. So the two armies meet at Spotsylvania, uh, outside the Spotsylvania courthouse, in a battle that would become known as the Battle, <laughs> for obvious reasons, of Spotsylvania Courthouse. Well, that makes it easier to identify. Doesn't it? So, so this- Sedgwick has lost an arm. He's lost a leg. He's he been shot. I'm he, sorry. He was he was injured in, but did not lose the arm okay. or leg. Okay. Yeah. But, but the that guy, was before he was shot three more times. Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. So so he's taken some some hits. He's taken some serious. This this guy is is just. I, I don't know how. And think about medicine back then. Mm. Think about being treated for things like that being shot multiple times and yet you come back and say i am ready and to uh rec- yeah. i'm recovered and ready to re-enter battle it's like the black knight in holy grail <laughs> exactly yeah well, bite well, your legs, legs off, off. <laughs> <laughs> we need more monty python references in this podcast just agreed <laughs> don't you agreed. think that's why i'm here unfortunately for sedgwick this battle would come to an end for him just one day in. This is May 9th, 1864. Sedgwick had brought his forces to join four other Union Corps, bringing the total number of Union forces up to, get this, almost 100,000 men. Think about that. 100,000 people. On the evening of May 9th, General John Sedgwick is inspecting his line and directing artillery placements at Spotsylvania. Now, as he's doing this, there are Confederate sharpshooters, snipers, firing at the Union Army from over a thousand yards away. Think about that. That's ten. That's t- more than ten football fields. Mm. This. Cat and JG brings us to our shallow end moment. Sedgwick is striding around in the open and quoted as saying, what? Men dodging single bullets? 
What will you do when they open fire along the whole line? And they're ashamed by this, but these these soldiers are continuing to understandably flinch because these sharpshooters are shooting, say, bullets at them. they They hear these things whizzing past them and hitting trees. And so Sedgwick yells again, why are you dodging like this? Why, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. <laughs> Seconds later, Sedgwick is shot by a Whitworth oh. rifle bullet under his left eye and mortally wounded. Just Now, his, his chief of staff is a guy named Martin T. McMahon. And he said that these sharpshooters' bullets are flying all around, making these whistling noises as they pass. God, that's creepy. Think about mm. that. I've, I've heard it It was described by some on the field uh, at the time uh, as angry hornets. It sounded wow. like angry hornets coming at you. Wow, that's quite a description. McMahon goes on to say, this same shrill whistle closing with a dull, heavy stroke interrupted me. And I remember distinctly saying aloud, General, They're firing explosive bullets. This was when his face turned slowly toward me and I saw blood spurting from his left cheek under the eye in a steady stream. It brought me this first knowledge of our great disaster. He fell in my direction and I was so close to him that my effort to support him failed and I went to the ground with him. Now, because this is a general, uh, they get medical personnel immediately summoned over but Sedgwick never regained consciousness and he bled to death Mm. there on the spot but I want to repeat his last words on this mortal coil were why are you dodging like this why they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance oh ooh yeah you got to admire his bravery but uh I wonder if he they they put that on his tombstone. Oh. His final words were, <laughs> they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. <laughs> oh, wow. I got this from allthatsinteresting.com and, of course, wikipedia.com. Thank Here's you for your service, General. Indeed. What a terrible way to be remembered. Yeah. It was much better for General Joseph Hooker. Um, he he was a uh, a general who allowed... Uh, prostitutes to follow the troops around because to keep morale up. Yeah. To keep morale up. And so (laughs) they, they started calling these prostitutes hookers. That's how, that's how that name came to be. Ergo the name. I didn't, I didn't know that. So he's remembered for, for naming ways of the flesh. (laughs) Yes. And uh, Sedgwick, that elephant, that elephant comment. Yeah. 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 Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. That's where you reach us. We love hearing from you. We love your stories. And uh, please never stop. No, don't don't ever stop. How is that? Yeah, no. Thanks for chiming in. <laughs> yeah. Can um, you tell I used to work in radio? <laughs> Jeez. I really want to thank you both for letting me join you today. I had Kat, so much fun. it's always so much more fun when you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Do it more often. Please. We'll I hate talking to JG. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay's getting under my skin. Come on. 
Um, Maybe I can teach you how to make Indian food. (laughs) (laughs) That won't make sense, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. So we'll see you next time and make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, you gotta go. <laughs>